mentioned a little while ago when we were doing ministry highlights that uh, our new worship director, Jake, is going to arrive uh, to lead next Sunday. And as of today, it'll have been 64 Sundays in between our last worship director, Jamie Parker, leading and Jake leading. Um, and during that time, a number of people have served in really incredible ways, uh, you know, and their service has enabled us to encounter the spirit of God in this place and to be ministered to. And so I took some time this week and I made a long list of all of those names. And so uh, I, I, was, I heard a quote years ago, and uh, I believe with all my heart that the church is not built on the gifts of the few, but the sacrifices of the many. And so I just want to read some names to you today. Chris Ward, Eric Coleman, Kelly Maroff, Josh Mall, Steve Myers, Mitchell Peet, Pam, Eric, Julie Voice, Christine Henry, Patrick Linder, Maddie Ward, Maddie Priola, Caroline Ward, Liz Mall, Lene Bankson, Jason Hoover, Abby Marshall, Jerry Free, Colton Peach, Benny Garcia, Jennifer Molnar, Billy Bond, Epi Vicente, Jenna Mateo, Ben Tweedy, Norm Heineke, Jordan Premier, Danny Larsh, Jim Ward, Lori Robinson, Hans Jensen, Parker Bankson, Jerry Grober, Nathan Webnar, Samuel Desay, Brandon Neal, Stephanie Kaiser, Chris Kaiser. Gene Court, Ben Addy, T.J. Riskin, Sierra Pettit, Gary Benitez, David Bauer, Spencer Sablon, Aaron and Emily Ward, Ashley War, Louis Brownlee, Jeremy Lujan, Garrett Abeda, Josh McClintock, Eric Garcia, Andy Augustin, Jack Vitalsi, Jacob Ramirez, David Bowen, Bob Van Dorn, Josh Gosenson, Catherine Gosenson, Shelley White, Drew Mullen, Karen Sampson, Aaron Menez, Richard Hernandez, Dave Warner, and Clovis Hill. honor you for what you've done and how you served. I want to begin my message this morning with helping you think about the last time that you went on vacation. Not a weekend trip, not a night away, but like an extended vacation. I always get excited to go on vacation and then it hits me that I have a lot to do to enable me to go on vacation. And so whenever I get ready to go on vacation, just this last summer, we took two weeks and went to Montana as a family. I start making a list of all the things I have to do before I leave on a vacation. And, and typically for me, the list of things I have to do before I can be away is about as long as a Walgreens receipt. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy, crazy long. Uh, but what I find is that in those last couple days before I leave to go on vacation, I am crazy productive. Like if I was as productive on those last couple days before vacation all the time, like I would just be, it, it would, I would get so much done. It's amazing how much that deadline, like I'm not going to be able to do anything once I leave, it drives decisions and it drives productivity. And I've just found that deadlines drive productivity. For so many of us, when we have an opportunity to procrastinate, we will. When we have an opportunity to put something off, we will. We have some, a chance to kind of just say, hey, I'll do that tomorrow. We do. Until we can't. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What would you do today if you knew that when you went to sleep tonight, you weren't waking up? See, it's one thing to have a vacation coming up and you got stuff to get done to go on that trip. And so you decide certain things are important, certain things are great until you get back. 
But what if there was no coming back? What if there was no, I'll get to it tomorrow? What if there was no, hey, I'll add that to the post-vacation list? What if today was all there was? How would that change how you live? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're in a series this month called Help, I Need a Relationship Reset. Because for so many of us, what needs a reset in our lives is not our bank accounts or our, our job. What needs a reset is our relationships. They've taken a hit over the last couple of years. They're not as strong as they once were. They're not as close as they once were. There's places where if you were to describe them as a bridge, there's cracks in the bridge. And so we're talking about how do we strengthen our relationships as we go into a season that is called the most wonderful time of the year, but it's often not the most wonderful time of the year for our relationships. There are certain people that we avoid seeing all year until we have to see them, the holidays. And so I'm hoping that you are getting equipped with the mindsets and attitudes to approach that. And one of the ideas that's been framing up this series is Romans chapter 12 Verse 2, where Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so our goal in this series has been, hey, how do we be transformed so that when we show up in these relationships, we are all that God wants us to be? Because at the end of the day, we can't control the people that we're in relationships with. We can't make them healthier. We can't change their choices or their attitudes or their responses. But the one thing that we do have a modicum of control over is ourselves. And so if we are renewing our minds, if we're being transformed, that will transform our relationships. And so from this text, we get our big question that we're going to answer this morning. And that's this. If your mind was renewed and you could discern God's will, how would you live? If you experienced not just your normal mindset, but the renewing of your mind that Paul talks about in Romans 12, 2, and you could actually discern what God's will was, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, then how would you live? How would that change how you live every day? And we're going to try to answer that question this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 13. We've been in Romans 12 through 14 in this series. We're going to wrap up Romans 13 today. Romans is between the book of First Corinthians afterwards and Acts before. My friend Jeremy preached last week from the first part of Romans 13, and I did watch his message. I did see that he gave me a little bit of shade in that message. And I just want to say, as Jeremy said, I gave him options. I always give him options of dates. It's his job to ask what the dates involve, and so... You know, he picked, he picked the hard week. I will say that, that Jeremy has also chosen to be a Yankees fan, so I have no sympathy for him. Um, and so he has chosen a hard path in multiple areas of his life, but he's handling it with grace. And I appreciate what he had to share last week from the first part of Romans 13. So we're going to read God's word this morning. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word in our lives? And in this short passage, here's what we read. Paul says, Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, 
not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you want us to do, and I pray that we would live as if this was our life. May the words of all of our mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, especially mine this morning. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. You can be seated. With that big question in mind, if you could renew your mind and your mind was renewed and you could discern God's will, how would you live? I want us to wrestle through some answers to that question that I think Paul provides for us in the latter part of Romans 13. And here's the first thing that I think that would mean for us. I think it would mean that we would embrace urgency. We would embrace urgency. If today was the last day that you had, one word to describe how you would live is urgency. Because you would know that there's not another opportunity coming, there's not another moment coming for you. And that's what Paul challenges the people with in Romans 13, 11. He says, besides this, Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What he's saying is that you're closer to the end of your life than you are the beginning. You're closer to meeting Jesus than you've ever been before. And the challenge that he's introducing to his audience in the city of Rome is that they have been sleepwalking through life. They have been kind of just going by remote control and failing to appreciate the moment. And he he illustrates this point by describing somebody who sleepwalks. Anybody ever had somebody in your family or your house who sleepwalks? So I had never experienced this before until I was a freshman in high school. And I went to my friend's house, just spend the night at his house. And in the middle of the night, I thought that he was just up. So I started talking to him. And then I quickly realized, you're not really awake. And I had no idea what a sleepwalking person was. And so when he woke up the next morning over pancakes, I was explained to that he sleepwalks. And it especially gets worse when he stays up late. And I'm like, that would have been good information to know last night. That would have helped me because I had no idea what I was dealing with. And that analogy that Paul uses is the same. That that instead of just sleepwalking through our house while it's dark, Paul says, we're sleepwalking through life. We're not actually awake and attuned to the urgency of the moment. And so Paul says, don't hit the snooze alarm and keep sleeping through these opportunities that I'm giving you. He's saying, wake up. The day that is coming is not guaranteed. All you are given today and the day of your salvation when you fully experience all that Christ has for you, whether you die and you go and be with him or whether whether he returns, that has never been closer than it is right now. So live like that. And so often what happens in our lives is that we don't choose and embrace urgency. It is foisted or pushed on us. We get a diagnosis or somebody else gets a diagnosis. Something changes that we're not in control of, and then we become urgent. What if you didn't have to do it that way? What if instead of waiting for someone to force you to be urgent, 
you embraced it. One of my, my friends, he has a, a statement. He says, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready. And, and what if you didn't have to get ready for Christ to return or for something like that difficult moment to happen? What if you just embraced that mindset every day? Because if you're always ready, then when the opportunity comes, boom, you can seize it. But when you're not living with urgency and you're sleepwalking through life, you have to get ready. And sometimes by the time you get ready, the opportunity is gone. That's the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. It's commonly known as the parable of ten virgins. It has nothing to do with sex. It's about the bridegroom's uh, attendants, his groomsmen, who are waiting for the bride and the groom to arrive at the wedding. And they're standing outside with lamps, probably not that different than one of these. And the lamp was fueled by oil. And at a certain point in the night, while they're waiting for the bride and groom to arrive, they run out of oil. And there is no 24-hour Walmart in the first century Palestine. And so they start scrounging around to try to find oil. But by the time the bride and the groom arrive, they're not back yet. Everybody goes inside. They lock the doors. And they get their oil and come back. And they knock on the door. And they say, we don't know who you are. It's dark out. You, you missed your opportunity. And there is this value as followers of Jesus that we embrace that is urgency, readiness, preparation, because you have to seize an opportunity during the lifetime of that opportunity, and not all opportunities have unlimited lifetimes. Some of them have very narrow windows. So the first thing Paul says is he says, hey, embrace urgency. But he's not done. He also says, take off your dirty clothes and put on your new self. Take off your dirty clothes and put on your new self. Back in the text in Romans 13, Paul says, The night is nearly over. He's been using this night and day analogy, and he's getting ready to kind of mix his metaphors. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk in decency as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. See, what, what Paul is going to do here in Romans 13 is the same thing he does other places, is he's going to analogize the, the life of a follower of Jesus with these two images, light and darkness, and old clothes and new clothes. And he's going to invite the followers of Jesus that he's speaking to to leave behind their old ways and to adopt some new ways and to trust that the new way that Jesus is offering them is the better way. Tony Evans speaks to this in his commentary on Romans where he says, too, and then that should be T-O-O, too many people trust God enough to take them to heaven, but not enough to guide their life daily. I've found that it's easier to trust God with something that seems really far away than it does to trust him with something that's very urgent and right in my face. That, that eternity piece just seems so far down the road that it's like, okay, I can trust God with that. That's just like bigger than I can comprehend. But these challenges that I'm staring in the face in my life, those are more difficult. Those are more difficult to surrender and trust to him. And, and what Pastor Evans is saying is he's saying it's one thing to trust Jesus with your eternity. It's something else to trust him with your today. 
And that's what Paul is speaking to here in Romans 13. He's saying, align your life with your identity. If you really are a child of the light, if you really are a new person, then align your actions and your life with that. And he gives very specific details about what it looks like with, with how we act with one another, with our personal morality, with our relationships, with our ethics. And he says, if that is who you are, then align who you are with how you live. And if you've ever studied anything of Scripture, you know that this metaphor is one that Paul uses repeatedly. Paul wrote 12 or 13 books in the New Testament. And here in Romans 13, and in Galatians 3, and in Ephesians 6, and in Colossians 3, Paul uses this image of putting off the old and putting on the new when it comes to our clothes. And the, the, our clothes are a symbol of, of our life. The early church symbolized this with how they did baptism. In many places in the early church, baptism happened in rivers and lakes. And so a person would come to be baptized wearing a dark robe. They would take off their robe and they would walk in the water naked. Aren't you glad you live in the church today? They would go into the water, they'd be baptized, and when they came out of the water, they'd be given a white robe. And they would leave the water with their white robe. It was a symbol that they came to Christ with this old self that was marked by sin and darkness, and they were taking that off. They were being baptized, buried with Christ, raised to new life, and then they were putting on this new self with a white robe symbolizing the purity and righteousness they had received from Christ. Now, most of us are never going to have that experience. I don't think we're ever going to be the church that baptizes people naked. That's not something I see in the future. But many of us know the experience from another reality, from travel. Last weekend, I was not here. I was traveling. And so Friday morning, I got up. I stayed with a friend in Phoenix at about 4.30 in the morning, went to the airport, got in a flight, had a layover, and then I ended up on the East Coast. And I've been traveling for like 12 hours. And I got to my hotel, and, and I just felt icky. I'd been on planes. I'd been in an Uber. You know, I'd gotten up super early, and I just was like, ah, I don't feel good. So what did I do? I turned on that shower in the hotel, as hot as it could go, because none of my kids were stealing the hot water. And I turned in as hot as it could go, and I got in there, and I got clean, and then I got out, and I had clothes laying on the bed, fresh, clean clothes, and I put on those new clean clothes, and I felt like a new person. And that's what Paul is talking about. And this is how he describes it in Ephesians 4. He says, but that's not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life. The old self that's being corrupted by deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. And so if you've ever experienced a long day where you were wearing dirty clothes and you, you took a shower and you got clean, you put on new clothes and you felt new, the reality that Christ introduces in your lives is so much bigger than that. He's inviting us to take off the old ways that we used to live, not just the things we believe, but everything about us, and to put on this new self, this new way of life, and to embrace everything he says about us. And that's why again and again in Scripture we see that identity precedes activity. 
You want your activity to change? You have to start with your identity. You want what you do to change? You have to start with who you are. And most of us, if we were really honest, don't actually believe that we are who God says we are. How do I know that? Because of how we live. If there's ever a gap between what you say and how you live, trust how you live. That's what others do with you. If you tell somebody something and then you do something, which one do they believe? What you do. We have cliches for this. Talk is cheap. You know, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. And so if we begin to really understand our identity and who God says we are, then that will precede a change and lead to a change in our activity. That's why Paul says, hey, put off these old clothes and put on these new ones. And then he says this, the third answer to our big question. Turn your back on your old life. If you you renewed your mind and understood God's will, what you would do is you wouldn't just put on new clothes, but you'd turn your back on your old way of living. This is what he says in, in Romans 13, 13, he says, let us walk in decency as in the daytime. And then he lists out the ways that you used to live that you would turn your back on. Not in carousing and in drunkenness. Not in sexual impurity and promiscuity. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What he says is, is turn your back on your old way of life And leave that behind. And the way that you know that you're doing that is you make no provision for the flesh. Now, provision is not a word we typically use. But I experienced it on this trip last week. I got to my hotel and I realized this was one of those hotels that didn't provide breakfast. I mean, they had a restaurant there, but it was like crazy overpriced breakfast. And and we're all kind of selectively cheapskates, you know, like... There are certain things we will totally spend money on and certain things we won't. And I just had a moment, I'm not going to spend that much money on breakfast. And so I went to the store and I bought breakfast food and I ate three breakfasts while I was there for the price they wanted for one downstairs and I felt really good about myself. I also bought some snacks because I knew I was going to get hungry at some point. I bought myself some iced coffee and I kind of had a stash in my room. That way when I got hungry, I had provision because I anticipated the moment. And what Paul is saying is that our tendency is to do that with temptation and sin. In the same way that you're going to get hungry, Paul says you're going to get tempted. It's going to happen. It's unavoidable. So how do you anticipate it? And he says, don't plan to indulge in sin. I went to the store and I planned to indulge my hunger, my physical hunger. I had stuff there. That when I got hungry, I could turn to it. And Paul's saying, if you're a new creation, if you've put on your new self, then turn your back on your old life, put on Christ, and don't have things there that you're ready to turn to and embrace to indulge your sin. So whatever it is that you are most tempted by, wherever the sin is that you most struggle with, don't make provision that when the temptation comes, boom, you're ready to indulge it. Now, I don't know what your sin is, probably different than what my sin is that I get tempted with, but we all have ways that we have stuff there ready to engage it when it comes. 
And what Paul is asking us is he's saying, are you more ready to sin than you are to follow Jesus? Because you'll have opportunities to do both. You'll have opportunities to follow Jesus. You'll have opportunities to indulge your sin. And which one are you more ready for? And the one that you are more ready for reveals where you actually are. I'm going to visit, visit my parents later today. When we get done, I'm driving to see my parents. And uh, my parents had one of those old school door knockers on their door, you know, where you just kind of grab it. And, you know, most of the time I don't use it. You know, I just, you know, ring the doorbell or I have a key and I go in. And, and for some of us, that moment of temptation is like a door knock. Somebody comes to the door of your life and they knock. That temptation comes to the door of your life and it knocks. And some of you know that knock super well. It's like if you've watched Big Bang Theory. Penny, Penny. And some of you know that knock of the temptation so well, and what you do is you are prepared to indulge it. But when you know who Christ says you are, when you know that you're a new creation and that knock comes, you can open the door and say, I'm sorry, that person doesn't live here anymore. He used to, but he's gone now. And that is embracing that new person to say, I'm not just going to believe that I, I changed my affiliation religiously or I changed my habits on Sunday, but I am now a new creation. And so I have turned my back on my old way of life that when temptation comes knocking, I'm sorry, that person doesn't live here anymore. I'm sorry, that way I did that, I don't do that anymore. I am now going to be a new creation. And then the final way we answer this big question today is this. We speak the truth in love to hypocrites. We speak the truth in love to hypocrites. In that section in Ephesians 4 where Paul talks about this same idea of putting off the old and putting on the new, he just said something really interesting that I, I thought of as Jeremy was reminding us last week to make sure that we read Scripture in context. Right after that Ephesians 4 passage, beginning in verse 25, Paul says, therefore, now remember, if there's a therefore, it's drawing back on what happened previously. So in light of this comment about putting off the old and putting on the new, Paul says, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Similar analogy that Paul used in Romans 12 a couple weeks ago. He says, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. I think what Paul is introducing here is though we are new creations in Christ, we will imperfectly live out that new creation life. The truth is, all of us are hypocrites eventually. That's why when you say, I have a hard time with the church because the church is full of hypocrites, in the moment you're indicting yourself too. Because all of us eventually have a gap between what we say and how we live. 
all of us eventually imperfectly live out our beliefs. Now, what I've discovered, in addition to the fact that all of us are hypocrites eventually, is hypocrisy is never overcome in isolation. Most of the time, I don't discover my hypocrisy because I'm just ridiculously self-aware. My wife tells me about it. My kids tell me about it. My team tells me about it. My friends tell me about it. Somebody points out, hey, Scott, have you noticed that this is what you're saying and this is what you're doing? And inevitably, what also happens is it's through their encouragement, accountability, friendship, love, and belief that I overcome that hypocrisy. And that's where the relationship reset comes in. None of us are going to ever live out our new selves perfectly. So what happens when you notice somebody else who's not living it out well? What happens when somebody notices out you aren't living it out well? There's an opportunity for a conversation. For someone in love to tell you the truth. Hey man, you don't see this, but there's a huge gap. This is what you say. This is how you live. Hey man, I know you don't see how you come across, but this is what it feels like to be on the other side of you. This is what it feels like to be married to you. This is what it feels like to be your kid. This is what it feels like to be your parent. This is what it feels like to be your boss. This is what it feels like to work for you. And you say, Scott, I can't have those conversations. That's too hard. Or maybe you go, Scott, I can't have those conversations because other people have done it so poorly that I just can't, I can't do it. And if that's you, I just want to give an analogy here. How many of you were raised by perfect parents? Oh, okay, we got one. You're getting the brownie point of the day right there, bud. But if your dad got the microphone, he probably would give you some different opinions because he knows that he's not perfect either. Here's the thing. None of us have perfect parents. And what ends up happening is that we, when we become parents, if you have that opportunity, is that you go, hey, I am not going to do this the way they did. But sometimes what happens is you go, I'm not going to do it the way they did. I'm just going to not even do that at all. You go, man, they just messed that up so badly. I'm just, I'm not even going to go there. And I would encourage you that doing something badly and not doing it at all are both bad. So if you've ever been on the receiving end of a conversation where somebody spoke the truth and love to you and there wasn't a whole lot of love, and you just said, okay, because of that, I am never going to do that to somebody else, not doing it and them doing it badly are both bad outcomes. And I just have this belief that one of the challenges in the church today is that some of us have been on the receiving end of poor modeling, and so we've just given up on those categories entirely. We've just given up on having those hard conversations. And next week, we're going to dive into Romans 14, which if there was ever a chapter that was appropriate for the moment we're living in, it's this chapter. Because what Paul is going to talk about is how do we decipher the moment when we have a difference of conscience. The Bible's not explicitly clear, and yet we have to figure out how to live with one another and relate to one another. So in the TV business, they call this a tease. 
kind of a come back next week to learn more about this. Before we go today, I have a couple of next steps for us in the back of your handout. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you to identify areas of lethargy and passivity in your life and embrace urgency there. Don't wait another 50 days or so until we're in a new year to begin to be urgent. Don't wait for a diagnosis or a test to come back. Don't wait for somebody else to say, hey, you either do this or I'm out. Embrace urgency. I'll just remind you, a bunch of us are going to feel urgency in about 50 days when it's a new year. There is nothing special about that. You can embrace urgency today just as much as January 1st. So what are those places where you've been sleepwalking and what would it mean for you to embrace urgency instead? Number two, confess the places where you're walking in darkness to God and a trusted person. Are there places where though you are a new creation, you've been holding on to the old way of life, you've been making provision for a flesh, you've been holding on to some, you know, besetting sin? Confess it. Yes to God. Absolutely confess your sins to God. But there is something powerful about also confessing it to someone else. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, said, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then number three, choose to humble yourself before you speak and when you listen. One of the reasons those conversations often go so poorly is that the person speaking speaks in pride. You don't speak because you have it all together. And you may see somebody today, you go, I got to go talk to them. No, first you got to humble yourself because you're no better. But then if somebody's coming to you before you talk, before you justify, before you fight back, before you say, hey, these are all the reasons why, humble yourself. In the words of the 1990s rapper, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Humble yourself. C.S. Lewis was right when he said that the, the virtue underneath every other biblical virtue is humility. It's the only way those conversations go in a way that honors Christ. He set the bar for humility. Jesus, this is hard stuff. It's not easy for us to embrace who you say you are. And it's certainly not easy for us to live that out. If we're honest, Jesus, there's, there's certainly a place I can see in my life today where I'm a hypocrite. Where there's a gap between what I say and what I do. And I believe that that's probably happening in the hearts of a lot of people. And I pray that we would come to the place where we see ourselves as you do. Clean, new, righteous, and forgiven. Jesus, we thank you that you see us as we are. And you meet us there. And you continue to walk with us as we learn how to live out this new identity, this new faith. We thank you for the people in our life who, who love us enough to tell
tell us the truth and to show us our blind spots so that we can be everything you made for us to be. Jesus, we'll never be the people you made us to be in isolation. We'll only make it as a people. So I pray if that person comes to us today that we humbly listen and search for the truth and what they're sharing. And if we're feeling convicted about somebody in our life, friend, a family member who's a new creation, who's following you and there's a gap that we see, I pray that you'd help us to humble ourselves and love them enough Walk with us in this season as we try to do these relationships well, because without you, we can't. And with you, your grace is sufficient. You've enabled us. And so we follow you today.